March 22, 2020. This is the All-American Podcast, and I'm your host, Paul C. Wright. Today I want to talk about the march of folly towards globalism and how this is corrupting America's culture and traditions, not to mention its political system. So we have to start at the beginning, don't we? The idea of a country founded on the principles of individual liberty. This, of course, made America and makes America a unique country in the world. Of course, it hasn't always lived up to this ideal, and it took a while before the principles were applied to all citizens. The principles haven't always been equally or fairly applied to all citizens, yet America remains the one country on earth where people of any background have an opportunity to become successful, open and run their own business, or climb the financial ladder more than any other country in the world. Now, I personally have been to nearly 50 countries, and you can't find one where both opportunity and freedom from an overbearing government are as good as they are as in the U.S. Not Canada, not Great Britain, Germany, or Japan. Definitely not in France or anywhere in Africa. Nowhere is life as easy and as good for so many people in this era as it is in the United States especially if you happen to live in a conservative state where the government leaves you and your paycheck alone. Now, for you people who don't believe this, I'd say try living on your own in Europe for a couple of years. And I'm not talking about as a government employee. I'm talking about as a person who's trying to live on the regular economy in Europe. You'll find out that if you have a controversial opinion that goes against the government rules, well, it's hard for you to speak without negative ramifications. You'll find out how hard it is to start and run your own business. You'll find out how things aren't nearly as convenient as they are here in the United States. You'll find out how your hard-earned money is sucked away from you by overbearing taxes and how hard it is to get a piece of property that you can call your own. Now, if you value these things and the individual liberty that you have as an American citizen, well, then, of course, there's no question that America is the place to be. But even we, uh, even though we have all these great benefits to being Americans, there is still a powerful segment of American society, of global society for that matter, that would prefer that we give up our sovereignty and ignore all of these great national attributes so that we can be folded into a new global governance structure that runs all of the world's nations as if they were merely provinces. America's traditional values have fallen under an extreme attack by these powerful people and their minions, that being the politicians, many educators, and of course, the media and entertainment complex. So why and how did this happen? How exactly did we get here? Well, There have long been those pushing an agenda for a one-world government, a global governance system that allows the few, the ultra-wealthy, the highly connected, to rule the planet. They want to dismantle the concept of the nation and instead have every nation run by that government, that one-world government. Nations would merely be provinces, as they are now in the European Union, for example, with no right to govern their internal affairs. Several provinces or groups of countries would be clustered into regions like the European Union. 
Now, I have to say that there was a time when they were openly and hard pushing the idea of a North American Union, and the North American Free Trade Agreement was to be the precursor to this. Now, that has since kind of fallen by the wayside. It's gone quiet, but don't be fooled. That idea is still under the table, and they intend to roll it out at some point in the future once they get a globalist back in charge of America. So the Club of Rome, which is an organization I'll touch on a bit later, in the 1970s published a paper that showed the world would eventually be divided into 10 regions that would report to a centralized world authority. The regions would then in turn govern the states or the sub-nations that were within them. They would not have a focus of individual liberty or national sovereignty. So even though we have this push and pull over globalism and nationalism, and I don't mean nationalism in the national socialist meaning, I mean in the idea that you respect the nation state and the sovereignty of your own country. So even though we have this push and pull, we're going to see the globalists come out in force now, especially in light of the coronavirus pandemic, to breathe even more life into their agenda. They're going to convince the people, and really have already convinced a substantial number of people, that we need to give up our rights to win this fight against the pandemic, and that a global solution, a global approach, is the best approach. They are absolutely angry, if many of you have probably seen, that President Trump is asking the states and localities to lead the fight against the pandemic, while the federal government offers its support. Well, this is because the states and localities are best suited to address the problems locally. There are unique traits to each state and each city that the states are best positioned to address. This is how it is supposed to be under our Constitution. But the control freaks are having none of this argument. They want centralized power, and they want it now. So what of the people pushing globalism? We're talking about a group of very powerful and influential people that have subverted our political, social, financial, education, and media institutions. These are the people who do not like individual liberty. They see the mass of people as intellectually inferior. They reject the idea of self-governance, and they feel entitled to rule us. They seek to confront and force their ideology on the world via politics, business and culture, and they come in two primary colors. The first is that of the political, financial, and industrial globalists. These are the ultra-wealthy and the ultra-connected, many of them with generational wealth. They feel like all do with an elitist mentality, that they are intellectually superior to the commoners of the world, and therefore should be able to rule for your benefit, of course. You see, you are not smart enough to know what's good for you, and you are essentially cattle to them. These folks are the masters of the global financial system, and they run the world's largest transnational corporations. Many of them are members of exclusive, uh, meaning for the super wealthy, of course, exclusive international organizations, such as the Trilateral Commission, which was founded by David Rockefeller, the Council on Foreign Relations, 
Now, interesting note about the Council on Foreign Relations. This is the organization that Hillary Clinton said she got her marching orders from while she was Secretary of State. It appears that their main strategy is to confront nations that do not willingly comply with the globalist governance agenda. They seek to fold all nations into that global governance structure. And if you peruse their publication, Foreign Affairs, you can find them openly exploring a multitude of strategies to create this structure from energy and trade policy to war. You also have the Club of Rome that I mentioned earlier, which wanted to divide the world into 10 different governable regions. You have the Royal Institute of International Affairs, the Bilderberg Group, the Bohemian Club, and the World Economic Forum. The World Economic Forum that meets in Davos, Switzerland every year, openly states that its mission is to engage the foremost political, business, cultural, and other leaders of society to shape global, regional, and industry agendas. It sees the world as ripe for global governance, which necessarily means that individual sovereign nations are to be dismantled in favor of a global system run by those who consider themselves to be the elites. All of these groups that I just mentioned have a couple things in common. One is that their membership is exclusive to big money politicians and media. The second is that they're all working in favor of global governance and against national sovereignty. So you can bet that when all this money gets together to discuss the prominent issues affecting the international order, you inevitably end up with an agenda and a plan that benefits those in attendance. The second color that we want to talk about here that threatens American sovereignty is that of the cultural Marxists. You might say that the cultural Marxists have been acting locally while the industrial political elites have been acting more globally. So what is cultural Marxism and who are these cultural Marxists? Well, I'll have to go back to the beginning of Marxism to really explain. I'll touch on this a little bit. But in simple terms, traditional Marxism is the communist philosophy of Karl Marx, which aims to outlaw private property, have the government own all of the means of economic production, and force an alleged economic equality across all strata of society, eliminating socioeconomic classes so in theory there would be no rich and no poor, everyone would be absolutely equal. Well, I say alleged because in practice, it never worked this way and never could. In practice, as we saw in the Soviet Union, the communist leadership lived like millionaires while everyone else lived as a pauper. And I mean everyone. Communism was more akin to national feudalism than anything else. The wealthy political class owned everything via the state and lived like kings and queens. Not so for the workers who were all equal in their lacking. Most of the people who have lived under communism thoroughly reject it as it dampens the human spirit, it kills economic incentives, and eliminates individuality, and it absolutely crushes freedom. You have no rights other than those the government decides to give you, which are extremely far and few, few and far between. You are essentially a prisoner who can never ascend up the economic scale no matter what you do, invent, create, discover, or develop. It just isn't going to make a difference. 
since the people who have lived under communism and those who were around to see how horrible of a system it is, since they all rejected communism pretty early on, and since its economic policies were an abject failure, the Marxists ended up shifting to target culture rather than economics. They are There are really uh, a couple of good publications on this that you can read for more detail. The first is an article by the Mises Institute, and that's Mises spelled M-I-S-E-S Institute, and it's called Why Marxism Shifted from Economics to Culture. The second is a piece by former Congressman Ron Paul. If you do a search for the human suffering of cultural Marxism, you can see this piece that Dr. Paul put on his Facebook page. He explains that since the original argument of workers being exploited by capitalists didn't really work, the Marxists shifted their exploitation to culture and social issues instead. So what does that mean? Now we're talking about instead of the rich exploiting the poor, we're talking about women being exploited by men, people of color being exploited by whites, gays being exploited by heterosexuals, the old being exploited by the young, and the young being exploited by the old, and on and on and on. The cultural Marxists, you see, have gone so far as to create a checklist of how many claims of victimhood you can have, and this is what is behind their bizarre term intersectionality. Are you gay, a Latino, and a woman? Well, then you get to check three boxes, which means you are triple oppressed. This idea is sheer lunacy, but the education system is absolutely indoctrinating kids with this nonsense. It really is the most anti-intellectual exercise ever seen in what we call the social sciences. So all of this exploitation means that everyone is a victim. Therefore, the cultural Marxists sold the idea that an enlightened elite must step in and force equality on society and dismantle the superstructure of oppression owned and operated by the privileged. This is where the term social justice was born, and it means equality not of opportunity, which we all are for. In a free society, that's precisely what you want, but they don't mean that. They mean equality of outcomes. So no matter who you are or what you do, how hard you work to create, invent, develop, build, innovate, or whatever it is you might do to create a financially secure future for yourself, your efforts are void because what you have is allegedly attained due to your privilege. You must therefore give it up, forfeit it in the name of equality, and hand it over to someone else. It's more important to have equal outcomes for everyone than having some better off than others in their view. So as I mentioned, they are pushing this agenda through the schools and they are indoctrinating kids from preschool all the way through graduate school with this stuff. And the agenda is sadly fully embraced by the media and entertainment industries. Most TV shows that you'll see today from sitcoms to late night TV interview programs, they embrace and push cultural Marxism and they use ad hominem attacks on anyone who wanders off of that plantation. They mock, ridicule, attack anyone who supports the founding principles of this country and claim they must be racist, sexist, homophobic, transphobic cavemen 
to want to preserve traditional color, culture or to want to recognize the sciences of biology, anatomy, genetics, and other sciences that clearly identify gender differences. Their doctrine has been embraced and rolled into the agenda of the elitist globalists that are from the political and industrial wing of this movement. This combined arms threat to American sovereignty has gone out into the open. They are no longer hiding the agenda. Remember that when the agenda was hidden, they called anyone who learned of it and spoke about it a conspiracy theorist. They don't deny the agenda any longer, though. So where does this leave us now? It leaves us in a culture clash that is marking a new turn in American history. We are entering a dangerous time in American history as the culture wars go nuclear, while at the same time we are venturing forth through a generational turn, as Strauss and Howe explained in their fantastic book called The Fourth Turning. A fourth turning is the end of a generational cycle whereby society enters into a full-blown crisis before it has to be renewed. I may touch on this in a future podcast, but I strongly advise everyone who listens to this podcast to pick up that book, The Fourth Turning. Give it a read. It's fantastic. Now, eventually, I believe that sanity will prevail and America will be reborn in some form or other from the ashes. And however it is reborn, it will embrace those traditional values that made America a great country. It may not occupy the same geographic space that it occupies now, and it may not include 330 million people, but eventually it will be reborn and find its way back to those core American values. It will have to if it intends to rise again. And with this, I will leave you with a quote of the day, and it comes from the Soviet dissident Alexander Solzhenitsyn. I hope that no one present will suspect me of offering my personal criticism of the Western system to present socialism as an alternative. Having experienced applied socialism in a country where the alternative has been realized, I certainly will not speak for it. The well-known Soviet mathematician Shafarevich, a member of the Soviet Academy of Science, has written a brilliant book under the title Socialism. It is a profound analysis showing that socialism of any type and shade leads to a total destruction of the human spirit and to a leveling of mankind into death. Thank you and good night.